Welcome to episode number 104 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on noted baseball personality Jared Carabas of DraftKings and the Baseball is Dead podcast. We have a conversation about his life, baseball, and his content journey. The Mariners also make a couple of minor transactions as spring training rolls along in Arizona. Your reminder before we start the show, if you're listening, make sure to download the episodes. Leave us a five-star review. It helps us out a ton. That's on the audio side. If you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. Make sure to hit that big red subscribe button. Only takes two seconds. And then follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday, February 19th. And Lyle, I have a big question for you. What is your favorite moment of the Kanan Smith and Jigba era? Whew, I would say if him and Jackson got a picture together, but it didn't even happen. You know what I think of of the Kanan Smith and Jigba era? People online that are very online and on Twitter like we are will know what I'm referencing. You know those highlight videos when people be like, I don't know, X players time in certain city. Like, like I'm just going to throw out an example. of Let's say Anthony Rendon. He's been in the news this week. It's like Anthony Rendon highlights with the Angels and it's hot by Gunna that plays, but it's just a black screen for like five seconds and then it ends. That's Kanan Smith and Jigba's time in Seattle. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. So if I were to stack up two notable eras in Mariners history, what about the first Malik Smith era versus the Kanan Smith and Jigba one? Ooh. It's tough. Well, Kanan lasted longer than Malik Smith did. Malik Smith's first stint with the Mariners, we're talking about two hours. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so uh it was a shame i was looking forward to asking him about chain waldron we we're like that was the one thing baseball aside that's all i wanted to know yes was he an elite offensive coordinator like what was he made for jackson was he made hmm. for jackson smith and jigba the well the most i think the most notable part of the kane and smith and jigba era is that we got to lead off a mariners podcast with that that soundbite from yeah. from Jackson. So that was good. I appreciate that, Kanan. I think that that is as valuable as a contribution as as you can make because I, I feel like we just needed an excuse for that. And, and he gave it to us. So we thank you, Kanan. But it's funny enough that it's a small world that he's just at this place he started. 13 days. That's what it lasted, I believe. 13 days. Mariners claim him off waivers from the Pirates. And then the pirates claim him off waivers from the Mariners. So it's a small world. I hope he didn't. I hope he didn't sell his his Pennsylvania property. He's going to show up to spring training in Florida, and Ben Charrington in the Pirates front office. Another Twitter meme, or or I guess but like clip from a show of an example that gets put on Twitter. He's going to show up, and the whole front office is going to do the Squidward thing from SpongeBob, where they were like, "I was just kidding. Come on, you know I was just kidding." It's going to be that. <laughs> Because yeah. they let him go, Seattle gets him, they DFA him, Pirates pick him back up. Just like that. It's like he never left. And now the reason Kanan Smith and Jigba was DFA'd is because the Mariners made a claim of their own. They claimed Levi Stout. He's back. After being after departing in the Luis Castillo trade in August of 2022, Levi Stout is back and he slots in as starter number seven. I was worried. I'm looking at the spring training roster. I'm like, oh, I only see six starters. 
That's it. Not much else in the minor leagues, but now the Mariners have seven. And it looks like Levi's going to join Emerson Hancock in AAA. I'm, I'm happy they made this signing. And it looked like Levi was too. Ryan Divish wrote a nice article that came out today here on Monday about Levi Stout coming back to the M's. His girlfriend, while Levi was on waivers, wore Mariner socks for two days to try and make this happen, to try and will the baseball gods and put Levi back in Seattle. And it worked out. Obviously, the baseball gods whispered in Jerry DePoto's ear. I called this, didn't I? I remember when he got DFA'd, I sent you immediately the tweet. And I said, I would bet you the Mariners pick him back up. I said that right away. I said it would not shock me in the slightest if they picked him back up. Remember how high they were on Levi Stout before they traded him? Remember going into 2022 when they said, who's somebody in the minor leagues to watch for? They were all talking about Levi Stout. They said, we love his stuff. They love what he brings to the table. And obviously, once he went to Cincinnati, things got a little bit all over the place. His walks got out of control. But it sounds like Levi himself, not only is he just happy to put a Mariner uniform back on, but I think his views are much more aligned with the Mariners pitching philosophy than the Reds. He said after day one of being back with the Mariners, he was like, it's just so refreshing. I feel like, I feel like I'm on the right path. I feel like I'm, I'm like getting better. I think he's pretty happy to be back. And yeah, they, they had to find a seven starter. Look, all the credit in the world to Tommy Malone for sticking around as long as he has and grinding it out in the minor leagues at this age. But I am much happier seeing Levi Stout in the number seven spot than somebody like Malone, who's an aging veteran, because Levi Stout still has a chance to be good. And if he can't throw strikes, they can put him in the bullpen. Like that's an arm that still has potential. So I am very happy to see that past the five starters, they have two young right-handers that still have potential with Emerson Hancock and Levi Stout. So I think this made all the sense in the world to bring him back. Did you see this quote that he was he was talking about the difference between the Reds and the Mariners and why he was struggling in Cincinnati? I mean, it, so the 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 blurb here this was from Daniel Kramer of MLB.com and and the 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 paragraph written before was a head scratch it, it was head scratching production given the success he had seen in the Mariners system, which as recently as spring training in 2022 had him on the outside looking in for an opening day roster spot. Quote, Stout said, it was a little bit of, I'd say, lack of direction in my sense. Kind of uh, n- kind of not much of a philosophy. That's an interesting word structure. It was kind of a go play baseball and we'll help you along the way. But there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on any one thing in particular. And I think it kind of made it hard for me to realize what I was supposed to be doing. There just wasn't a very clear direction, which I mean, my first day back here, I can already feel the difference. And I mean, that reflects some of the conversations we've had with Mariners pitchers this offseason on this very platform. The Mariners will pick a thing that you do really well and say, why aren't you doing that more? You should do it more. Meanwhile, the Reds are like, oh, like what it sounds like, at least the Reds are saying, oh, go throw and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after. Meanwhile, the Mariners are like, no, go, go out there and do this. This is your plan right here. You got this. Be confident in this pitch right here and you'll have success. So I hope Levi does bounce back. I hope the the change of of attitude message helps him out because I mean he has really struggled. He had a six and a half ERA in AAA, despite the the stuff when he was with the Mariners in 2022. He was not having his best season in AA at that point. His ERA was near five and a half. So he's got nowhere to go but up at this point. Then to go into AAA this year and to really re- rehabilitate his image and put together, throw enough strikes and really put together enough of a, of a resume to give himself some starts. Because let me tell you, 
The Mariners are going to have injured starters this year. It's going to happen. It happens every single season to every single team. Levi Stout will almost certainly start a game for the Mariners this season. So the Mariners want to make sure he's ready to do that by the time that time comes calling because it's going to come calling sooner than he thinks. And I'm excited for him. Again, I think people should feel much better for where they're at right now in terms of their rotation depth than they did just a few days ago. You've got two young arms waiting in the wing. Not everybody can say that. And that's two young arms after Brian Wu and Bryce Miller got up last year, after you traded away Robbie Ray, after Marco Gonzalez left the team. Like After all that, now you've still got rotation depth. So I think it's a very good sign. Last thing here. Yeah. Quick, they probably still, you know, but I'll say, sorry, didn't mean to butt in there. I'll no, say no, they, they still need one more. I think still need one more starter, at least down there in AAA to feel comfortable. And it will probably be a Levi Stout type. But I think I still think one more would be would make me feel a lot better. I agree with that. And I'm sure they'll find one. I'm, I'm sure they will pick somebody up who they like and think could play some type of role. And they'll put them in AAA. We'll see who that is. We'll see when that is. But I bet you it happens at some point. La- last thing, quick trivia question for you and see if anybody else can get this too. I'm sure people will get this, but I'm just curious if you can remember. In the Luis Castillo trade, the Mariners sent back Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout. Who was the fourth guy? Um, it wasn't Brandon Williamson. That was in the Jesse Winker trade. Yeah, it was Andrew Moore, but not that Andrew Moore. Mm, different Andrew Moore. A younger Andrew Moore. A high school pitcher Andrew Moore. Right. Right, right, right. So I was just curious if you were going get, to get that one on the fly. But I'm sure some people got it. Uh, Here's something notable. Uh, I guess if someone's looking for a positive for Levi Stout, despite his ERA, uh, when I see that ERA, I sometimes get curious what, what did his stuff look like. And when I say stuff, I'm referencing stuff plus. So his overall stuff plus Lyle was not great. But he did have a 120 Stuff Plus slider, and people might say, okay, well, small sample size. The problem is Stuff Plus doesn't take that big of a sample to stabilize. As Eno Saris has said a lot, Stuff Plus in a very small sample can give you an accurate number. And 120 on the slider in the big league level, given that's just 10 and a third innings he threw at the big league level, Stuff the, the Stuff represented a slider 20% better stuff-wise than league average. Now, I will say, give the Reds credit, they had a lot of very, 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 very good sliders on that team. So Levi's kind of got buried a little bit, but it, it's not saying it's uh, that number represents that it's he does have some stuff in his repertoire still to manage. And with the Mariners coaxing him back, I would imagine some of those other, other pitches will come back as well. Again, I'm looking forward to it. I always liked Levi Stout when he was a prospect before he got traded away. I'm happy he's back. I thought it made way too much sense when he hit waivers to say, let him go. Like, it, it would have made no sense to let him go. The Mariners needed rotational depth. Famili- they're familiar with Levi Stout. Levi knows the organization. I'm sure they still believe in him, hence why they picked him up. Now he's back. I'm, I'm happy to see it. I really am. Okay. I think most people are here to listen to Carabas anyway. So. Let's get to that after we tell you guys about our friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85. You guys know we talk about it. Well, we're going to keep doing it because it's our favorite place to go hang out, Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. They've got 22 TVs in the place, awesome food, great drinks, pool table, dartboard. You've got everything you need to go have an awesome time with your friends. If you go and you go during happy hour, they've got some great specials. Those are Monday through Friday from 2 to 6 p.m. It features $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, 
$4 house wines. You need a spot to go watch some games, catch up with some friends, eat some great food. You know where to go. It's Tagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. Well, man, oh man, oh man, am I excited for this one. We have had a lot of awesome guests on. Every guest has been awesome. But I think I can speak for the both of us, and I know I'm speaking for myself when I say I'm just about as fired up to have Jared Carabas on this podcast as I have been for maybe any guest we've had so far. Very, yeah, very, very exciting. So just a note, we have not recorded it yet, but I'm very lo- I'm very much looking forward to learning uh, a, a lot a lot more about, you know, Jared's journey. If you follow Jared online, you know, I mean, here's some things you check off. First of all, very opinionated, very much himself, and very much himself, meaning diehard Red Sox fan, but also just the way he, he talks about baseball. He's allowed to be a Red Sox fan, but he's also able to put that aside and objectively talk about the rest of baseball on his podcast. Baseball is dead. Um, part of the DraftKings podcast network, formerly at Barstool. Uh, that was Jared. But I'm, I'm like, I'm really excited because he is he 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 calls himself the tribal chief of baseball Twitter and sort of the more fan oriented, outspoken way of talking about the game of baseball. It, it, he sort of brought it up with him. And now, as it's much more prevalent, I think it's going to be very exciting to talk about this part of his life with Jared. I mean, there's just so many, so many avenues to go down with this. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. He's, he's going to be awesome. So, like, for those that might not know who he is, I'm guessing most of you do. I would assume most of you do. But for those who don't, if you follow TJ and I, you know what the two of us try to be. We want to be ourselves. We want to have fun. We want to let people get to know us and we want to be different. We want to do unique content. We try to be creative and I, I'm not role models, not the right word for this, but I have looked up to the work of what Jared's done for a long time, especially once I got the idea that I wanted to, that we wanted to go down this route because he's been a pioneer for that. Like media did not always accept people that were biased and fans. It's much more that way now. And I think a big reason, certainly in baseball is because of people like Jared. And he has built up a huge platform for himself over the years from being himself. And now he's friends with players and now he's at all the big events and, and, and he does a bunch of really cool content. So he's somebody whose work I've, I've watched for a long time. I followed him for a long time. I know you have too. And now we finally get to talk to him for, for a little bit of a behind the door thing. We've been trying to make this one happen for like over a year. We've really, he is one of our white whales. We've said that for a long time. And in terms of media people, he might be the white whale person we've wanted to have on. So I, 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 I'm so fired up for this one. I, I don't know what else to say other than I cannot wait to talk to him. If the rest of you are as excited as Lyle, I won't keep you any longer. Let's get to our conversation now with Jared Carabas. All right, we've got the rocket. It's Jared Carabas <laughs> of DraftKings, host of Baseball is Dead, the Name Redacted podcast, Tribal Chief of Baseball Twitter. Is there anything else you want to add to your byline? Uh, that covers it. I think for the most part, yeah. Well, I, I I'm doing some stuff with Nesson this year, and I teased it on the na- the latest episode of Name Redacted. I haven't said what, but it's a really cool opportunity, and uh, it's something that, as I mentioned on the pod, has not been done in our sport yet. Yet, it's been done in other sports, but not in baseball. If it all mm. comes together, so I'm pretty excited for that. Mm. Well, MLB Network correspondent as well, sports mm-hmm. radio insider. That's a couple other things I think mm-hmm. that works in. I do a lot of Man, stuff. I'm, I'm you're not busy. You're, you're not missing out on much. <laughs> no, no, I got a lot to do. 
people that know you, I mean, know you as a baseball guy, but everybody knows you're a Red Sox fan. So we've got something for you that ties from the Mariners to the Red Sox that we just okay. had to run by you. So over our first year of doing this podcast, we've got to talking with some of the players and doing some social media stuff with the guys. And one of the things we've kind of uncovered is this bullpen has some takes about some baseball topics. And two of them, which we thought would be right up your alley, are as follows. Number one, they think Babe Ruth is a total fictional character, like the Correct. entire bullpen believes he didn't exist. <laughs> and number two, even more so up your alley, they think the Ted Williams red seat home run is about the fakest baseball story ever told. So do you have a response to that? I mean, people are catching up. I feel like I, I, I was way ahead of the curve on all of that. And now we're at the point where people are like, you know what? This guy's making a lot of good points. You know, <laughs> but the Babe Ruth thing. I mean, I'll fight Dallas every day on this. Um, he's a big Babe Ruth honk for whatever, excuse me, whatever reason. Um, but I was uh, probably one of the first people to slander Babe Ruth's name. And it's been gaining a ton of traction in, in, in recent years, which I'm very excited about. I won't stop until he's erased from baseball history. Uh, and then the the red seat, I can't take credit for that one. That was Poppy. So Poppy went out there, I believe in 2006, somewhere in there. And he took batting practice at Fenway with an aluminum baseball bat. So this is like the prime of his career. If it was 06, that was the year that he broke the Red Sox single season record for home runs. So like the prime of his power with an aluminum baseball bat and still couldn't hit the red seat or come close to it. Um, so uh, yeah, that one, there's no way that that happened. One of the guys that my dad plays poker with. He is obsessed with Ted Williams. So like they they have like a little poker game and uh, like, you know, they have like the dealer's choice or whatever. So like they all like pick their different games that they get to play. And he has a game called Ted Williams where like I forget how you play, but it has something to do with like his career batting average and like the 406 and like number nine, like encompasses like all like the Ted Williams stuff. And he was beside himself when I told him that the Red Sea just wasn't real he's like well you don't know like someone like the ball gets up in the air and then the wind can take it i was like mike like baseball like has been around for a hundred years over a hundred years and we've had wind before we've also had a little thing called steroids before and no one has come remotely even close to that red seat. I don't care if it was in a, a category five hurricane. Like it doesn't matter. No one hit a baseball that far. Uh, but it is, you know, it's a nice little thing to point out when you go to a tour at Fenway Park. It's like, oh, what's the red seat mean? Like, oh, Ted Williams hit a, a ball 502 feet. And by the way, Manny Ramirez, and I believe 2001. It might have been his first season in Boston. He hit a baseball over the light tower. Like, this is before StatCast, obviously. Hit a baseball over the light tower and, like, onto the mass pike across the bridge. And they were like, yeah, that one looks like 501. We're going to call that one 501 because they didn't want it to break Ted Williams' red seat. Like, a stupid, made-up home run distance at Fenway. They were like, yeah, Manny's, I think that one, that, that looks like 501 to me, just because they didn't want it to be longer than the red seat, which didn't even happen. So there you go. This, what is your favorite Babe Ruth story where you just sit there and chuckle and like, see, like there's no chance. <sighs> um, 
I mean, like, I believe that there could have been this guy that was just head and shoulders above everyone else because, like, he he didn't play against anybody of color, didn't play against Latino players. Like, he he was bigger. Like, you have to think about, like, the time period. Like, the average height of someone back then was probably, like, 5'5". Five, five. Like, you were probably looked at as, like, a, a huge dude if you were, like, 5'7". They're like, whoa, why isn't this guy playing basketball at 5'7"? Uh, so Babe Ruth was just, like, he was a large human being who was hitting home runs off of guys who had side jobs. Like, they just were like, yeah, like, I, I guess I'm in Major League Baseball, but I'm also a mechanic. And on the side, I also, like, work at an iron factory. <laughs> so, like, I guess that, like, the concept of Babe Ruth could be real, but it's just, like, I don't. Like when we look at like we just did on Baseball is Dead, we like we have a segment where Jay Hay breaks down like uh, MVPs from past years, and he just did 1931. And we're going over the, some of these like Babe Ruth numbers, and it's like, well, yeah, like if this happened today, it'd be like, oh my god, like I can't believe that someone did this. But then you go back to then, and it's like, well, yeah, a dude that is twice the size against these inexperienced baseball players. And and I mentioned to Dallas too. I was like, the average fastball velocity back then was like high school batting practice today. Like you should be hitting seven hundred plus home runs when you're facing midgets that are throwing <laughs> seventy one miles an hour, and that's like a blazing fastball for the time. Like, yes, you should be doing that. So it's like, yeah, like maybe he did all those things, but I'm not going to give him credit for it. Yeah, it's like how they called Walter Johnson the big train because he threw so hard. But back then he was throwing, what, 90 miles an hour or whatever? That was considered like 105 back then. Correct. And that was Babe Ruth's toughest competition. I will tell you, this whole Mariners bullpen is going to be like jumping up and down hearing a Red Sox correspondent agree with them on the Ted Williams thing. Because they said when they took the tour and they saw this thing, they're like, like they're full of shit. They're totally lying to us. Like There's no chance this happened, especially if Poppy couldn't do it with a metal bat. And that's no. been their take forever. Yeah, and and I'm also not even 100% sure that that seat is, like, that seat is, like, 650 feet from home plate. Like, if you, like, sat in that seat and, like, looked at home plate from that distance, it's not even 502. Like, we've seen big league hitters. Like, I think, like, Jim Tomey hit one that was, like, 511, and, like, Nomar Mazzara hit one in Texas that was, like, 520 or whatever it was. Like, Sammy Sosa was hitting them, like, like 500-plus. So, like, we've seen 500-plus foot home runs before it's not like it's inconceivable that someone could hit a ball 502 feet i just don't even believe that the seat is 502 feet away like i think like the measurement is wrong if if we were going to transition a little bit which i think i love all this conversation by the way i love that it's kind of started to come to fruition a little bit and i never thought we'd discover it but if we were going to transition a little bit just into some mariner stuff you have gotten very tied into the Mariners community over the last few years. And you're a national baseball guy. You cover all 30 teams. But I feel like when we really start to see the transition of you talking about the Mariners a lot more was when the coin phrase of America's team started, which was coined by you. Yeah. It was the summer of 2021. I think I remember how it started, but I want to hear from you how it started and why you thought to yourself, like, people need to be following the Mariners. Yeah, so I, I remember that night pretty vividly. Uh, we were talking a little bit about it before I went on, but I was like, listen, that was uh, 
I mean, so I, I don't know. You guys, I'm assuming, have seen my TV setup before. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I, for it's anyone that's one not of the familiar, most impressive ones I've ever seen. <laughs> for anyone that hasn't seen it or heard about it, I my TV room. I have a 75 inch TV in the middle, and then there's a shoehorn of eight other like 45 inch TVs around it. So there's nine screens, um, and I'm watching like all these games every single night. And obviously uh, as an East coast guy, like I start out watching the Red Sox on the big TV, but by the end of the night, like that big TV is occupied by a West coast team because I mean, just that's how time zones work. Uh, And I remember that night where, you know, you had the Kendall Graveman trade the day before. um, And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, the Mariners are on my radar but then you have that trade go down and you're like, why did they do that? Like, it just felt like, especially to that team, like they're a team that Seattle is competing with within the division. And it's like that. I don't Why? Like, it just didn't make like that must have been so deflating for the players in that clubhouse. And I remember, you know, you make the trade and you're also playing them right now. The Mariners are playing the Houston Astros. So. I want to say it was the last game on the slate. Like it was, um, I, I can't remember if it went into extra innings or not, but it was a lengthy game. So all the other games had ended and I was live tweeting it from like the first inning, like trying to get people to pay attention to this storyline. And then it got to the point where it was the only game that was on. So people were tweeting me being like, I wasn't even paying attention to this game, but like I saw you tweet about it. So like now I'm hooked on Mariners and Astros baseball right now. And I'm a Blue Jays fan. Like I don't give a shit about either one of these teams, but I'm, I'm hooked now. Um, and then Dylan Moore ends up hitting that home run. And it was just like this big payoff where it was almost like, it was almost like I was telling people to watch a movie and be like, dude, trust me. It's a, it's an awesome movie. You're going to love it. And then they give it a shot and they're like, Thank you for the recommendation. That was an awesome movie. But like, I didn't know it was going to end awesome for the Mariners. I kind of just was like rooting for them. Knew that the storyline was kind of bubbling on the surface there. Um, so yeah, I just like was like live tweeting the game the whole night and was drawing eyeballs from uh, outside the market fans. And it became almost like this Mariners watch along with baseball fans that didn't have any vested interest in either team leading up to that game. Uh, and then the payoff was just so cool <laughs> with the Dylan Moore Homer. Um, and then I kind of just rode the wave with the Mariners the rest of the way. Um, it was a fun season. I, I had a great time, you know, like kind of getting invested over the summer and then riding it until the very end and then kind of seeing it through to the next year. Like, I'm sure like, we'll talk about like my first, experience uh seeing a game in seattle was the first playoff game in 20 years there but like i i wanted to see it through like it like me going so i guess like let's jump ahead to that then uh i i missed my cousin's wedding he is like he's my age we basically grew up together and i missed his wedding to be at that game the first playoff game in seattle in 20 years i missed his wedding to be there And it was just like, hey, you know, like, this is what you sign up for. You know, like, I'm not playing Major League Baseball, but like what I'm doing is the big leagues of the industry. Like we are 
covering baseball at the top of the top. And like, you wouldn't look at Julio Rodriguez and be like, dude, why weren't you at my wedding? It's like, oh, cause I was in the playoffs. It's like, all right, well, you know, this is the first playoff game in 20 years in Seattle. We have to be there to cover it. Like it is what it is. Sucks that I can't be there, but like, I gotta be there. So yeah, no, that was uh that was an awesome, awesome night outside of not getting the win. What is it about that day that you remember vividly? What 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 stood out to you about the atmosphere of that environment at T Mobile Park? Uh the fact that no one sat down the entire time. <laughs> like like I was trying to <laughs> I was excited to be there. I was having a blast. It was a great baseball game, but I'm a Red Sox fan. So I'm like, I'm thinking, cause I already did this. I three years prior. Yeah. No, four years prior 2018. I was in LA for the 18 inning game against the Dodgers. Um, but I'm in LA and like Dodger fans are obviously not nearly, I mean like they're passionate, but like you could sit down during that one. Uh, Mariners fans were like, like, I remember I tweeted out the quote, like people were kind of complaining by the 11th or 12th inning. Like someone said something like, Oh, sit down. And I remember a dude sitting behind me was like, we waited 20 years. You've you've had the chance to sit down for 20 years. Stand up. So yeah, like that's what I remember most is if you needed to sit down, you were also accepting the fact that you weren't going to be able to see the game because everyone was on their feet for all 18 innings the entire time. And nobody left, period. That, nobody left. That might be the most amazing thing there about oh, like like Mariners fans. Like they had been through a lot, a lot of Tuesday night, 30 degree, you know, mediocre baseball games where you can leave in the fifth inning. It's like, all right, that's fine. But then the playoff game rolls around and, you know, Lau and I were there. We were sitting all the way up in the top of, of the corner of right field. Mm-hmm. Our section was full the whole time. It, nobody ever left. That is the last section to fill every single game. And it's the first one that people leave from. But nobody left. And it was just an, one of the more incredible environments I'd ever been to. And Jared, could you, as an, an outsider to Mariners fandom, did, did you sort of feel the emotion when Felix came back in? Did you sort of like oh. feel that that just wave of like... I almost cried him there in that environment. (laughs) Like I almost (laughs) cried. There were people sitting near me that were crying. Like they were crying. And so I don't know if you saw that I did this, but because it had been 20 years since the Mariners had played a home playoff game, I felt bad about being there. Selfishly, I wanted to be there and I had the opportunity to be there because of my job, but I felt bad about being there. So what I did was, I bought two tickets to the game and I gave them away to like, I like put the tweet up being like, Hey, like tell me why you deserve to be there. And like, I wanted to make sure that like two diehard Mariner fans were going to get the chance to go to this game. Be it, I was like buying off my guilt of like occupying a seat. Like I didn't feel like I deserved to be there, but I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, so I made sure I was like, Hey, I'm buying fucking two tickets. Can I swear on this? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we say shit all the time. <laughs> no, all you want. <laughs> like I, uh, uh, I was like, I'm making sure that like I'm buying two seats for like a diehard Mariner, and it was like a father and son. Like, like yeah. So, um, it was a very special night. The only regret that I have is that they didn't score a run. Like that 18 inning game, Red Sox Dodgers in L.A. Uh, there was at least like lead changes and um, 
like the Red Sox scored, I think, in like the 12th, but then the Dodgers answered. And then ultimately, like Max Muncy hit the walk off in the 18th. Like this was just a one nothing ball game where I was like, please give them something to erupt about. Like the, it's not just that they've been waiting 18 innings to erupt. They've been waiting 20 years for this. Uh, I think I maybe it was Julio that had like a laser double mm-hmm. off the wall at one point. Like that was probably like peak excitement in terms of like, let's get loud. Um, but yeah, like I was just hoping someone hit a homer in the first eight innings to where it's like, you know, if we're going to go extras, let's go extras. But like, give us that moment to, to let it rip. And it just never came. So I have two follow-ups to that. Number one, I said the same thing. Like, even though they didn't win, even though it was an awesome game, like the one thing I wanted was just to hear that crowd go nuts in the middle of a game. Like you heard it pregame for Felix in a different way. Oh, when, when Bregman and Altuve came out for the introduction, people were yeah. ripping those wow. guys. Yeah. So like that was cool, but I just wanted one thing during the game. So I'm with you on that. The other thing I wanted to circle back to was when you talked about missing your cousin's wedding. Mm-hmm. Can we normalize things like that more, please? Because that is absolutely <laughs> something that I would do. It's like, I'm going to miss some event like that to go watch baseball or to go to a game or something. See, see, and like most people I try to explain something like that to would never understand it in a million years. But like, you get it. Like, you've done it. You've went through, you've gone through it. Like, you understand it. Like, I want to normalize that more. Yeah, my uh, one of my best friends got married. I think it was the October of 21. Yeah. So it was the October before and he, he reached out like the summer leading up and he was just like, he was like, Hey, if I get married in October, are you going to be there? And I was like, depends on the day. I was like, depends on like who's playing who. Uh, I was like, I can't promise you that I'll be there. Um, he's from like, we went to high school together and everything, but then he moved to Austin, Texas, but then he came back to have the wedding in Boston common. So I was like, I'll know the week before, maybe four days before. I was like, it might be half a week before that I would know. Um, so I ended up making it. But I mean, if you have your, if you really want me to be there, then like that's on you for having your wedding in October. Like, you know, I'm probably not going to be available. And if I am, it's going to be a miracle. It's going to be like a, you know, an ALCS off day, or there's going to be just one playoff game that day, but it's a night game and it's a day wedding. Like, yeah, like, okay, I'll do that. But if it's a big game and it's a night wedding, like, this is my job. Like, this is like, I gotta, I have, especially for baseball, because, uh, you know, the most revenue is generated in October. Like, that's when the, the, the revenue is created. Like, of course, you're gonna, you're gonna bring in revenue over the course of the season, but everyone wants the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it sucks to have to have that talk with people sometimes like my cousin understood uh his parents are my godparents they did not understand <laughs> so they're just, like you know like I, I remember talking to like my godmother she was like she's like you're coming to the wedding right and i was like well i was like i'm, I'm gonna have to be in seattle she's like oh that that sucks that you're gonna have to cancel that and i was like i'm not <laughs> you know like um so he totally got it but yeah they they did not get it at the time jared are you considering one of those apple vision pros you can wear it while you're sitting in the crowd and you can put put the game right above the altar so you're looking yeah. at both at the same time 
Yeah, so uh, I just got dinner with Coley, who I used to do Section 10 with. We got dinner this past weekend uh, with him and his now wife. And um, <clears throat> so it was the first time that my girlfriend was meeting Coley and his wife. And she was just like, you know, how has the, uh, you know, how how did the season go? <laughs> you know, like talking about <laughs> it like it's like this traumatic experience or something. <clears throat> and um, she was telling my girlfriend the story about their wedding day how i had to basically make an agreement because it was a day game and it was a day wedding uh and it was also the day of the mlb draft in 21 and that's when the red sox had the fourth pick uh so i was just like i had to kind of like barter there and be like all right during because i had i had the uh uh like the earpiece in like I was listening to the game and I had to agree to remove the earpiece during the ceremony like <laughs> basically like what because I was in the wedding so like I had to come out and like line up with Coley and all that so I had to agree like no earpiece during the actual ceremony um but during the draft I was like I, the draft was during the reception and I was like I the Red Sox have the fourth pick like I'm gonna be out on the balcony like following this because that was the Jack Leiter draft like obviously like his mm -hmm. stock has plummeted but I love Jack Leiter he was someone that I was dying for the Red Sox to uh draft I think he went at two to uh the Rangers so we didn't even get the chance but um there was that and then she was my girlfriend started telling Coley and his wife about uh, like one of the first dates that we went on. Um, we went to this like indoor mini golf place and I had an earpiece in to listen to the game. And I remember texting the Red Sox broadcaster, the radio guy. And I was like, Hey, uh, I was like, I know I normally don't do this, but uh, I was like, I'm going on a date tonight while the Red Sox are playing. Uh, I'm not going to be watching. I'm going to be listening. So I need you to be extra descriptive <laughs> tonight if you could. And he was like, all right. <clears throat> so now like whenever he asks like how she's doing, he doesn't even call her by her name. He calls her putt putt. Um, so that's, that's where that originated from was because I had to listen to the game while we were on a date. So what would have happened? I'm pretty sure 2021 was Marcelo Meyer, right? Do Correct. I have that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What would have happened if you were up on the altar with the earpiece in? And it's like, do you take Coley to be your lawful wedded husband? As you hear Rob Manfred say, as Marcelo Meyer somehow falls to four, people thought he'd go higher. It's like the Red Sox draft Marcelo Meyer. I mean, so I knew that at the time, Marcelo Meyer was the best prospect in the draft. Mm -hmm. But I had known about Lighter since he like went to Vandy. Because there, I don't know if you guys follow this account. It's um, I think it's called Prospect Dugout. Okay, yeah. Uh, they're an Instagram account. Um, and they posted this video of Jack Leiter just throwing like live abs on like it looked like a high school field or something like that, like a year or two prior to the draft. And his fastball like sounded like a cruise missile. And just watching the video, I didn't, I didn't know that it was Jack Leiter. I didn't know that he. Uh, had a big league dad. I just saw this kid, saw the build, saw the fastball, and was like, Heim, we need this guy. And then you find out, like, hey, he's going to Vanderbilt. Hey, uh, his, his last name's Leiter. It's Al Leiter's kid. And you're like, oh, okay. So, like, the eyeball test clears. Like, he's got big league pedigree here. 
Um, it's all legit. So I, yeah, I was, I was all in on getting lighter, but then like I knew, I knew Marcelo Meyer, I knew who he was. Um, and that was someone, I think he was projected to go like one or two, like he was, like, it was just about signability at that point. So once lighter was off the table, I was like, all right, Meyer's still there. Let's get him. So I was, yeah, I was happy either way. So Jared, getting to this off season, I'll say the start of the off season for both the Mariners and the Red Sox were remarkably similar. The The difference is now, I think the Mariners have remade themselves a little bit more than the Red Sox have. So I guess starting with the Mariners, how have you evaluated how they've ended up here at the end of the off season? I mean, I, I love the Polanco move, but with you, but you have a great radio voice, by the way. Um, well, that is... I'm sitting in a radio <laughs> studio right now, so <laughs> it Tremendous works out. Radio voice. Um, <laughs> I love, I love what the Mariners have done, but I also the the key to Seattle success this year. And I know that it sounds very cliche to say, but it really does come down to health. Like they have some dudes right now throughout the lineup where if they stay healthy, they should be really good. Like they should be like 90 plus win good. Like it's almost like shoe in for the playoffs, but like, can they contend with Houston for the division? Good. Like, um, love the rotation, obviously. Um, I think Ty France is one of those dudes where it's like, Hey, we need you to kind of bounce back. Like we know how good you can be. Um, but we need you to turn the clock back a little bit. And it's not like he's in his mid thirties. Like he's a, he's still at an age where, uh, it's more than conceivable that he could bounce back. Like I know it was last year, last year was his all-star season. 22. Yeah. 2022. Yeah. So, uh, I think that like he's a big X factor for me. Uh Polanco staying healthy. Um you know Crawford leading off. Like it's like, you know, and then Julio. I like the lineup. Like you're not looking at it being like, man, like there's Judge and there's Soto and Stanton. Like you're not looking at it like that, but it has balance. And uh that part of it I do like but it's going to come down to health and Ty France being the X factor. Can he kind of bounce back this year, which all signs point to him doing that. Like he was, wasn't he at like driveline just like yeah. getting after it with those yes, guys. He was. Yeah. Like, so I, I have my eyes on Ty France having a bounce back year and that really lengthening the lineup. <clears throat> and then I'm sure maybe it's because you're so in it and you're so involved, but it's not just you guys who think that the Mariners rotation is like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when, when it's your team, you're like, are we overhyping our own guys? Like do other people agree and see the th same things that we see. I think it's kind of like it's graduated outside of the Seattle bubble and everyone else is, is looking at the Mariners rotation being like, Ooh, like they're kind of like four deep over here. Like if this, like this is not a team that we want to match up with in a best of seven series by any means. I'm glad you mentioned the rotation. Cause I want to take you back about a month. It was the end of one of the episodes of baseball is dead. You sent Mariners Twitter into a little bit of a frenzy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You asked Dallas, where do you think Blake Snell might sign? Dallas says, well, I want to say Seattle, but I don't know if they're really going to make the push. So you respond and say, oh, they are. Like, they're ready to make the push. <laughs> yeah. Joey asks you, well, okay, who do you think he's signing with? And you go, the Mariners. So my question to you is a month later, 
Do you still feel that way? And if the answer is yes, for what you feel comfortable sharing, like what makes you so confident? So I'll say this. I have a, f- a friend of a friend. Like I know someone in the Snell circle that made it seem like it was the Yankees and the Mariners. So that's what made me say, and, and and knowing that publicly he had rejected the Yankees' offer, that's why I was like, okay, so then process of elimination here, it must just be the Mariners. Like, they must just be figuring out X's and O's here. Um, but that's the last update that I got, because I still, uh, I still get Mariners fans reaching out, being like, is there anything new on the Mariners situation? Like, I had one conversation shared kind of like what I knew from that. And then there was never an update. There was never a follow-up. It never went anywhere. So I don't know that it's dead. I don't, but it clearly didn't progress. If we're now probably more than a month later and it hasn't happened yet. Um, But it was interesting to me that it sounded like it was down to those two teams. And then not long after that, was when I think it was either Heyman or like Mark Feinzen reported that the Yankees were the only team to offer. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. Like, I feel like Seattle was at least in the mix. Um, but who knows? Maybe like, cause I've said that, you know, not necessarily with the, the Snell situation, but with like other guys that it gets reported that they only have one offer. And you're like, there's no way that they only have one offer, maybe only one serious offer, like only one offer worth considering, but there's no way that like, you know, some of these guys out here have zero or only one offer, like Blake Snell saying that he has one, I mean, he didn't say it, but like the report that he only has one offer. I find that very hard to believe. I find that there's gotta be multiple other teams that maybe floated some sort of offer or number or framework for a deal and that Boris was like, you're not even in the same ballpark. You're not even close. So it's like, all right, maybe it's discarded as not a real offer. But that's kind of where I, I kind of like loop back in Seattle. It's like, all right, well, maybe maybe they floated some years and a, a dollar figure that Scott Boris just scoffed at. But I, I find it very hard to believe that there was no communication, that there was no sort of like, hey, like, what will it take to get this done? Is this number, is this year? uh amount is this somewhere in the in the region that he would say yes to is this something that is it a good starting point um but like as far as like is the source credible the source is credible so um but yeah that was basically all it was was that uh the mariners and the yankees were in the in the picture no other team was mentioned and then we heard from whoever that the yankees offer was rejected so i was like Okay, process of elimination here must be Seattle. So everything we've seen from the Mariners side of things that they uh, from the people reporting on on this side that they haven't they haven't offered anything and that there hasn't even been much communication period between the two parties. But I'm going to paint this in a more positive way for you, Jared. I think the way the market is going, the Red Sox might be on on Blake Snell here soon. Well, he costs money. Um, So, yeah, he's not going to. He's not going to work for free as far as I know. Um, so I don't, I don't think he's a fit here in Boston. Um, 
the Orioles. So I think like that's what, where Boris is right now. So whatever we talked about on the podcast in regards to Snell and Seattle, the landscape has now changed because now spring training has started. Games will be starting in a week. So instead of kind of using the offseason as a way to kind of like leverage players or teams or whatever, it's like, all right, you, or more so leverage the players. You want a job before spring training starts. You want to know where you're reporting to. So we have leverage over you. Well, now you have the Kyle Bradish injury in Baltimore. Uh, as the games start, like I know he's not a starting pitcher, but like Kenley Jansen just had the lat injury. Like pitchers are going to start to get injured, which kind of flips the table here. Now, uh, if there's a team that has a starter, it's like, hey, we, we kind of like went in all in on this season. We're trying to win this year. And one of our top guys just went down and say he's going to miss four months. Well, guess what? Now we're in the Blake Snell sweepstakes, you know, when we weren't before. Um, so I think the way that it was described to me a month and a half ago about it being New York and Seattle, it you kind of just go back to the drawing board now because the the landscape is about to change as the games are about to start. Yeah, so I will say, like, the reason I think this hasn't gotten done is it's all on the Mariners' side. Like, you might remember this, maybe not, but Blake Snell during Thursday night or Sunday night football during Thanksgiving, he or somebody in his camp must have said something to the NBC crew because he raised the 12th man flag during that Seahawks 49ers game. And Mike Tirico says, Blake Snell, a Seattle native, he's a free agent. He wants to pitch for the Mariners. And we like sit up, we're like, what did he just say? He's like, you just put that on national TV for the whole world to hear. So it's been made very clear that Blake Snell, who, as you know, is a Seattle native, like he wants to play there about as much as I've ever seen any free agent want to play there. I think it's a Mariners thing. They either they don't want to fork up the money or they're worried about the walks. It's it's something. But I think it's I think it's kind of one sided for why it hasn't gotten done. Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> it could be Robbie Ray syndrome where it's like, all right, we just. You know, we already did that. We we had a guy coming off of Cy Young. We gave him a bunch of money, and then he just wasn't that guy anymore. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, when you get burned like that, uh, maybe you're reluctant to just jump right back into it and do it all over again. Like the Red mm-hmm. Sox, I mean, it's the same thing. Like right now, it, it couldn't be a more egregiously perfect fit, Jordan Montgomery. Like we need, like it's all right-handers in the rotation. There's no lefty. Uh, you need an innings guy. You're, you're like, I know that they get a lot of flack. They don't suck. Like the Red Sox aren't going to suck, but they're going to be very mediocre. Adding a Jordan Montgomery, it's like, all right, that could swing five wins from what you would have had before. Now you could be a, an 85 win team that maybe sneaks in, or maybe you're good enough at the deadline to maybe you add at the deadline, and that guy puts you over the top. Um, and and kind of what you're saying about Snell, it's like he's from here. He's clearly, uh, his preference is to pitch in Seattle. And Jordan Montgomery is like, my wife works here. I live here. I've, I've been working out here. I've been begging you to sign me all winter. And the Red Sox are just like, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. And it's not like they have a plan B. They're just like, yeah, no, we're just, we don't care. That's nice. Do you feel like after what's happened with the Red Sox, this offseason especially, but maybe the last couple that I mean I feel bad for you obviously and Red Sox fans that you have to go through this but like at the same time do you have any more sympathy from for what small market teams go through after like feeling the pain of what the Red Sox are doing this offseason I feel like a method acting <laughs> like I, I really do like I feel like uh 
you know, we've been, it's almost like undercover boss where you've just been like this billionaire for forever, basically. And now it's like, oh, now you have to work the shit job to see what it feels like. So I don't even feel that bad for myself. If we're being completely honest, uh, I almost, I'm not going to say I prefer it. That's crazy. Um, I can appreciate the experience because now, like, you never want to be, I guess, um, kind of the position that Patriots fans are in right now. It's like, you just had a dynasty for over 20 fucking years. Nobody cares that you're four and 12 this year. Like, no one cares. Like, you can suck for a little bit. And Patriots fans are like, oh my God, we got to fire the coach and trade Mac Jones. And like, they, they want to burn the place down. And it's like, shut up. You, for 25 years, you ran the sport. Uh, with Red Sox fans, it's not that. Like, yes, since 2004, the Red Sox have won more World Series titles than any other team in the sport. However, they're sandwiched in between garbage, garbage. Like, yes, 04, 07. 13, 18. Okay. Last place in 14, last place in 15, last place in 12. Uh, we're about to finish in last place three straight years. We finished last place in 2020. So it's like, yeah, like we win the world series every six years over the last 20 years. Uh, but we also have to sit through absolute dog shit baseball. And I know the Dodgers, like they, get made fun of for being one and done all the time. It's like, yeah, you won 110 games and, but you lose in the first round all the time. Or like you choke in the NLCS. I, I don't, I don't mean this, but I have this thought sometimes. The regular season is six months long. The playoffs is one month. Wouldn't you rather have an awesome time for six months than just one month? And like, I get it. that like the one month, trust me, is Fucking awesome. When your team wins the World Series, what a great time. I, it is the best memories of my life. The most joy I've ever experienced is when the Red Sox win the World Series. But when that comes at the cost of half a decade of suck in between every time you win the World Series, like I'm kind of looking at the Dodgers being like, man, winning the division every year must be awesome. Like that must be so much fun to just enjoy your summer, to be able to turn on the TV any given night and know that you're just going to watch an absolute ass beating your favorite team, just like kicking someone's teeth in every single night. Like, that's great. I don't know what that feels like. Even as a Red Sox fan that has won four World Series titles since 2004, I don't know what it feels like to go into a season being like, hey, showing up for work again, about to watch a great baseball team. We don't know that. Like, we've never had that. We've never had a real consistent run of like, Hey, we're here and we're showing up and we're going to we're going to do the damn thing. Um I guess it was like 03 but like not even like like 2006 they missed the playoffs. Uh 2009 they like backdoored their way in. 2010 they finished in third. So like yeah, like they, we've never just had that run of like all right, the core is here. Like let's have like a six seven year run of like first place or playoffs every year and and maybe we'll get one in that window um it's always just we show up and and hope that we can stomach the summer of baseball 
anyone who listens to that or follows you on Twitter or listens to any of your podcasts knows like how passionate you are about baseball and and specifically the Red Sox and all of this your career starts back you know around that year 2006 where that's the year you started your Red Sox blog and set you on this journey that mm-hmm. you now here are nearly 20 years later as wildly successful as you are where did the combination of your fandom and wanting to just put your ideas, whether online, on paper, somewhere else, et cetera, where did that start for you? Ooh, um, so, I mean, people, how old are you guys? You guys are in your 20s? 25. Yeah. 25, yeah. Yeah, so you guys were never on MySpace, I'm assuming. <laughs> no, <laughs> never on MySpace. no, no, we missed that. Yeah, so, uh, like, MySpace was the first social media website. And I made a MySpace page and I knew a little bit of HTML coding. Don't know how. I think it was just like, you know, it's just one of those things where you're just like a nerd and um, I just kind of figured it out. Um, so I, I, my page was like just dressed to the nines with like, uh, you know, Red Sox stuff. Um, so there was this, MySpace page that was like just Red Sox and it was kind of just treated like a message board. Like I didn't do like actual message boards, but like I was on MySpace all the time and there was a page that said Red Sox. So like they use the comment section to kind of like people would just like interact with each other during games. And the dude that ran it uh, sent me a message and he was like, Hey, like I feel like you could do a better job with this page than I can. So if you want it, it's yours. And I was like, Oh, cool. And it had like, 3000 friends on it and I was like oh wow that's great so then I obviously went in did my HTML thing dressed it up and like made it look like an official like Red Sox page or whatever and then pretty much by the end of that year you had everyone else like popping up their Red Sox fan pages when like there had never really been any fan pages like at the time like under the first social media website it was kind of just like all right we, i make a profile for who i am as a person and like that's it um so by the end of the year there was a bunch of red Sox fan pages uh so i in 2007 i kind of thought to myself like how do i make this different and separate it from the other fan pages that popped up and i was like well if i start blogging or like writing uh then that then my page provides something that the other ones don't. Uh, it's my thoughts. Like you can only get those here. So I started writing on there. And I think by the end of 2007, it had like 125, 150,000 friends or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so then like the MySpace crash was very quick. Like for for riding the wave that first year and getting to where it was at, like by the end of like 2008, like it was like whatever, 150,000, 175,000. Um, and by 2009, MySpace was just a ghost town. Like no one was even using it anymore. So I had built a website um, <clears throat> and I started blogging on the website and like tried to recoup people on Facebook. But like by the time it was just, a ghost town like it was very hard to get the whatever 100 plus thousand people to go to like like a facebook group like i think i recouped like maybe ten thousand. so it was kind of just like start all over again and then in 2009 which was in myspace died uh rafe anderson uh he um i don't know if you've heard of like true media it's like a 
it's like a, a analytics database type deal. So like he runs that. Um, I knew him way back when. He's like, there's this new website, Twitter. He's like, you got to get on there. And I was like, no one cares like what I had for lunch. Like, why am I going to like, just like update people? Like, that's what Twitter was back then. It was like, just drove my car down the street to the store to get milk. Like, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Um, but I made a Twitter and thank God I did. Uh, cause like, that's basically like, you know, that was like the second MySpace of my career. It was like the second peak or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just that. Like, I remember like that summer in 2007 was very instrumental in my career because I got my tonsils out. Um, and that was a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, getting your tonsils out when you're older. I mean, I'm not going to say don't do it because it was worth it. But the number one most painful experience my entire life, like my throat got infected. They had to like, I was like bleeding into my own throat. They had to like cauterize my throat while I was awake and all this shit. I had to have like emergency surgery to like stop bleeding in my throat. Um, But it was because of that, like I couldn't go outside for like the entire summer. So I was just blogging away, writing away. And that's like how I kind of like developed my own voice back then. And fast forward to where you are now. I mean, there's there's so much in the middle we can get to. But for example, like with the two of us, when we started this podcast, especially with the way media is going, where there is such an avenue now for people to be who they are, be fans of the team and still be in media. Like, I love that. And that's part of the reason we started this. We felt like we could really be who we are. We could do something that was a little bit different, do a bunch of uh, social media stuff. Like We started doing stuff with players and fans and all that is because there's been people that have kind of trailblazed it before us. And for you, like one of the, I mean, one of the reasons I've always loved following you over the years is you're such a pioneer for that, certainly in baseball, but I think in sports media as a whole. So I guess my question for you is when did you start to notice that your personality and your brand was resonating with other people and saying, okay, he's not an ob- like objective, went to journalism school type of media person, but yeah, come out and do media stuff. Come talk to the players, go to the events. Like, how did you see people start to be accepting of who you were? It was a long process uh, because <clears throat> to your point, like I was the first, like there was no one doing that before me. It was kind of just people were telling me uh, the way that you do this is not a career path. It's a hobby. Um, it, Like I was told if you want to do this for a living, go to journalism school. You're going to have to write a column for a newspaper. Uh, you're going to have to drop the whole fan thing and write objectively and like not be a fan anymore. And I was like, well, I think that that's bullshit because uh, like I built an audience being just a fan when I was 16. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm still in high school and I have an audience that's just as big as like these news outlets. Like, what are you talking about? I can't be a fan. I was like, there is a market for this. And I can tell you that because as the consumer or like through the mind of the consumer, uh, if I'm reading the Boston globe and I've got a guy writing a column on the Boston Red Sox who doesn't care about the Boston Red Sox, why do I care what this person has to say like so after a game or a trade or like a a dramatic story and i'm pouring my heart out on my blog like i'm day one my mission statement was create a product that i would want to consume myself 
because there was no, there was nothing. There was nothing like that. So I was creating what I would want to consume if I wasn't doing it myself. So, uh, yeah, like I, I like it, it, I was not accepted. I feel like even like I'm, I'm like, it maybe took up until like last year or the year before, before I felt like really fully accepted. Like when I was like in the booth during Red Sox games, like, I feel like, you know, you get to a certain point in your career where it's like, all right, how many I made it moments have I had? I've had a lot. Um, and I feel like sometimes when people look at me that they're just like, well, yeah, he's mainstream. Like he, you know, he made the big time and like, you know, he's not like one of like the, the little guys anymore. And he's, he's not like scratching and clawing anymore. Like he's at, he's at the top and it's like, well, no dude, like me getting into the booth during Red Sox games, like a year ago, like in my mid thirties, like that was like my first like breakthrough moment where like I've been knocking on this, this glass ceiling for almost 20 years trying to break through. Like I knew that I could do my own thing and build my own audience and make my career out of it and gain, uh, you know, like fans of the podcast and the blog. Like I knew I could do that, but it's just a much different satisfaction to be acknowledged by all the places that turn me away. Because in 2012, I sent my resume to 40 different news outlets. Anyone that covered the Red Sox in, uh, on the internet or wherever sent my resume. I got two responses. One was a no. And the other one was a, we'll let you know if anything opens up. And then I never heard from them again. So every single news outlet in 2012 had the chance to, to bring me on. Nobody did it. So to finally be at a spot where it's like, yeah, we, we acknowledge you. Like we, like we understand that if we want to connect with the younger audience, we have to break down that barrier between the, the, the bloggers and the podcasters and be like, yeah, like these guys are like, you know, they're part of the media too. And people consume that maybe more than they consume us at this point, which it's not even maybe like more people listen to our podcast than probably read the Boston Globe or watch whatever on like TV or whatever, like, you know, so yeah, I definitely, it, it took a long time. Like I remember, um, <clears throat> 2018 was the first year that I got press passes and even that took a fight because I, I remember I went to Oakland, the Red Sox opened the season in Oakland and Shamanaya threw the no hitter against the Red Sox. Um, and I got press passes. I went on the field before that game and after that game. And I went back to the Red Sox after that trip. And I said, why will the Oakland A's credential me, but the Boston Red Sox won't? And they didn't really have an answer for that. So we kind of found like a common ground where it's like, all right, well, let's start with this. And like, we'll start here and we'll start small. And then eventually it's like, I, you know, kept going and going, going and wanting more from it because I felt like I earned that. Like I put in the fucking time. I didn't just spawn and say, Hey, I'm this dude from Twitter that has a following. Give me press passes. Like I didn't do that. Uh, The Red Sox by that point had been familiar with me since I was 18, since 2007. It took me until 2018, 11 years to get press passes. In 2010, I reached out to Sam Kennedy, who is now the president of the team. He didn't have, I forget what his job was at the time, but I reached out to him in 2010 and asked if I could get credentialed. And he said, we can't do that. 
But what I will do is I will give you standing room tickets to 10 games of your choosing. Like you can pick which games you want. And I was like, okay, cool. Can I pick five now? And can I pick five later based on like circumstances? Like, oh, like if Beckett is pitching against the Yankees, um, can I like wait to pick those games based on like, you know, if it's a big game or not? I was like, yep, sure. So like he was great about it, but it wasn't credentials. Like it wasn't press passes. So it took years, years to break down those barriers. Um, and I was the first. Like, the, like the, the blueprint before me was Bill Simmons. And Bill Simmons did something completely different than what I ended up doing. Like, Bill Simmons was the blueprint in the way that he was basically the guy that made a career out of not hiding the fact that he was a fan. That was the only parallel between me and him. Because he went on to, like, he was writing columns on ESPN.com and he was writing books and stuff, which I also did. Like, I wrote a book at 19. I started it when I was 18, finished it when I was 19, published it when I was 20. So, like, I also did that. But I wouldn't compare myself to Bill, to Bill Simmons. Like, I feel like we're, we're very different. Um, but that was the first and only guy that didn't have to hide that he was a fan and to make it a career. Outside of that, I was on my own. I had to uh, pave my own path and I had to, you know, take out whoever I had to take out on the way. And that was not easy to just be in a field where no one really wanted to help you out. No one was lending a helpful hand of mentorship because they knew they could see the future where it's like, all right, this is you know, like newspapers, they're, they're going to be gone soon. And like the bloggers are the future. Like, let's not fucking give this guy the weapons. Like if let's let him like, you know, fade out eventually. And it didn't happen that way. Um, I just stuck with it. Like I was stubborn. I, uh, I did not take no for an answer. I did not accept, uh, you know, eight years of making zero dollars as failure. I was just like, all right, this is taking a little bit longer than I thought it would. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we failed. That doesn't mean that we have to pivot to another career. I did what I had to do. I went to night school. I got a degree. I got a desk job because I was 26 and I could no longer be on my parents' insurance. So I was like, all right, I'll get the desk job that I don't give a shit about. Uh, my, I made sure my boss was a Red Sox fan. So he was cool with me watching (laughs) day games. If there was a day game, I could watch the game in the office. Um, I did what I had to do. So yeah, it, it was, uh, that's why, you know, I don't like when people are like, oh, he made it and he's big time now. It's like, man, it took me all, all of those 18 fucking years, uh, to where like I'm in my 18th year now. Like it feels like it took me all of those 18 years to feel like I actually did make it, you know? You have great relationships with players now. How receptive were they to your fan style of covering the Red Sox and showing up at these games and, and writing about them online and stuff like that? Well, how is that different than than what the organization sort of gave back to you over those years when you're fighting to get in? Depends on the year. Um, because like when I <laughs> first started, <laughs> yeah, like when I first started at Barstool, um, I tried to be like Dave too much, I think, where he was just shock value. And he was like very aggressive and like he would tear you apart. And it, it, like most of it was for comedic effect, um, but it could get a little mean at times. And I 
felt like in the early years, I was just trying to please him and be like, I'm not a pussy. You can trust me. Like I'm one of your more dependable soldiers. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to grind my ass off and I'm going to be just as ruthless as you. Are you proud of me? Do you like me? Like that's how it was in the beginning. And I fucking burned a lot of bridges that way. Uh, in those first years, like 2015, I had a lot of players on the team that did not like me because you have to figure, right? Like Barstool is Boston based. It's the Boston Red Sox. Uh, there were still holdovers from the 2013 team. I wasn't there yet. I was. I showed up at Barstool in 2014. Um, so they had had the World Series in 2013. So a lot of the guys on that team became fans of Barstool. And then in 2015, I show up for my first full season, just tearing the team to shreds because they're in last place. Again, back-to-back last place seasons. And a lot of the guys on the team read the website and they're like, well, fuck this guy. Like, who's, where did this guy come from? And why is he talking shit? Uh, it's like, oh, because you're in last place again and you suck. So I definitely rubbed a lot of players the wrong way right out of the gate. Um, and it took until basically 2018 to mend some of those fences. Uh, like I didn't, uh, that's kind of like was part of my pitch to get press passes in 18 was, like, hey, I'm talking all this shit about the players, and I think that it's kind of cheap that I can't be there to show face after. Like, I don't want to be lobbing bombs from my mom's basement and then not show face for. Like, if you have an issue, like here I am, and to this day I still do that. And like last year, like I had beef with one of the guys who was just like a huge pussy the whole year. Like I requested to speak. To, like he was talking shit about me to like media relations like complaining that I was in the dugout. And I was like, dude, get this guy up here and we'll have a conversation. We'll talk this out. Uh, and he wouldn't show face. And anytime that he walked by me in the dugout, he wouldn't even look at me. So he would just like talk his shit. Like he was basically doing what I was doing. Like he would talk shit, but then not want to like have any consequences for it. Um, and I'm the opposite. Like I will go there. My only purpose of going there is showing face and being accountable. If you have a problem, here I am. We can talk about it. Uh, because I, like I said to them, I was like, I'm not just sitting in the dugout because I think it's cool. I do think it's cool. I love being in the dugout. I think it's like my, it's my happy place. It's a peaceful place for me. Um, but I've got shit to do too. Like I'm not like, uh, like at 2 PM on a Friday for a seven o'clock game. You don't think that I like have like other shit that I could be doing like grocery shopping or like taking my time, like getting ready or whatever. Like I'm there to be accountable. And like they were still like complaining about it that I was there. So it was very odd dynamic. What's the most rewarding relationship you've built, you feel like? Ooh. Um man, probably it's gotta be Cora. Um Yeah, I mean like having a relationship with the manager of your favorite baseball team who trusts you and uh like I remember throughout the whole season in 18, like we were in communication the entire time. I met him in person during that series in Oakland when it was like the first road trip of the season, met him there and we just, we hit it off and we went and you would think, right? Like if your favorite team, like it's like, even if you like have a, a good relationship with the manager, if they're in the world series, like they've got to be getting texts from everyone and they've got to be like laser focused on like winning the world series and all this shit. He would still reach out and, and like, like he would still make it a point to keep in touch. Like, I, I think it was after game four 
or no game three because it was Nathan Avaldi pitched that 18 inning game. He pitched the last like seven innings or whatever. And he was supposed to be the game four starter. And I was like, fuck, like we, we lost game three and now we don't have a starter for game four. And like, I'm like tweeting this stuff and he just like reached out and he was like, Hey man, we good. He's like, we got Eddie. He's like, we got a lefty. We got, we got a lefty that throws 96. What are you worried about? Like, like he's, he's managing in the middle of a world series where they just lost after an 18 inning game. And he's making sure that like mentally I'm good, you know? <laughs> um, and then like, obviously the world series parade and all that stuff. And then like in 2021, uh, that was one of the most fun seasons ever. Like at least postseasons, postseason runs. Uh, I was at every home playoff game and it was because of Cora. He would just be like, run it back. Like he would just leave me tickets for every and they were like right behind like right next to the Red Sox dugout and he's just like let's go like need you there let's go let's run it back and you know like the fact that he's the manager of the team he's a baseball rat baseball lifer played now he's coaching managing and it's not lost on him what that means to somebody like me and I'll never be able to repay him. There's nothing I can do for him. I don't think besides, I guess like, uh, during his suspension, I mean, I, I was fucking defending him at every corner. Like I was going after anyone that had a bad word to say about him. Um, so I guess that that's how I pay him back. But like, there's nothing I can do to pay that guy back. Like he, like my relationship with him has been, I mean, I, I can't even put into words. Like he's the fucking best. Okay, so you mentioned the World Series parade. I want to get back to that in just a second. But to wrap up this whole player relationship, manager relationship topic, like fast forward to now, I know you talked about it took some time, but it's not just the Red Sox you have relationships with. I mean, you're friends with a lot of guys throughout baseball, a lot of noteworthy guys like Tyler Glass now is one. Or you did an interview with Cal Raleigh this past year. He talked about the guy at Chili's who came up to him in the bathroom and said, like, <laughs> yeah. stop switch hitting or all that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of guys in baseball that really have like taken a liking to you and are much different with you than they are with most people in the media where you see a lot of guys be very reserved when they get asked the same questions every day. But with you, you see guys let loose. You see guys show their personality, which is, I think, one of many reasons why you're so good at what you do. But like, how long did that take to see not just the Red Sox, but other national guys say, yeah, I really like this guy. And like, what do you think it was about you as well that made other players kind of bring their way to you? There was two things that happened um well three things really uh nationally two but overall three my relationship with Cora in 2018 I think it was more so like if my manager is cool with this guy then like why shouldn't I be so like that was big for getting in with like the 18 team and then all the, the the a lot of the core the guys were still there for many years after that um so that was big second thing was the spikes up tour spring training 2019 like we hit every camp in florida and arizona so like we just showed face and like we met these dudes and we built relationships with them early and then next thing you know like we're you know if someone came on the bus and we interviewed them i asked them for their number Uh, i kept in touch with them uh if, if they sign contracts like i text them congratulations if they have a big game like i'll hit them up and be like i was watching that like that I, i'm sure you know like if you are pitching for a team that not a lot of people care about or pay attention to and you ball out like it feels good to know like oh someone was watching this like intently and they they appreciated my effort tonight like that's cool um so like i, I would do stuff like that like i kept in touch with like a lot of those guys um and then also 
I don't know that I've ever shared this. Uh, I was like, I was kind of like dating this girl that uh, she was friends with like a bunch of different dudes that lived like a bunch of different MLB players that lived out in Arizona. So I think like none of them were Red Sox players. Actually, no. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck was one of them. That's what like the video that I tweet when he hits the home run when like uh-huh. like we wink next to each other. That's us on a double date with like his girlfriend and that girl. <laughs> um, so I think like some of these other dudes were just like, oh, like if if she think because like, I'm sure that there are some players, especially like Yankee players or whatever. Like I'm sure that there are some players that are like, you know what, like fuck this guy. Like he talks a lot of shit and like <laughs> I think that you know players probably look at quote unquote media as like oh he's trying to get like inside information or a scoop or something whereas like I don't give a, I don't care about that like I I care about the entertainment value I care about the stuff that we can share versus like the stuff that like you don't want me to share that I'm gonna share like I don't do that uh I want like hey let's do something funny like let's let's tell stories that are funny or interesting like that's what I want from you like I don't want dirt I don't want like scoops or whatever I don't care about that um so I think my relationship with her like I'm sure a lot of guys that were like, "Hey, what's the deal with this guy? Like, do we like him?" And then she was like, "Yeah, like he's." And then she would explain it, like, "Yeah, no, he's just he's just trying to like do his job. Like, he just wants to do like funny stuff." And they're like, "Okay." And then like I met a bunch of them that way, and like I, I have a bunch of relationships with with like pretty big names through that relationship too. So uh, like you know, I, I don't. I'm sure like I've never said that to her. Like, hey, thanks for being super influential <laughs> in my career. Uh, but she knows that like she knows that like she she made the connection for me with like a bunch of those guys yeah so now to circle back to the parade which for those who don't know the red sox win the world series in 2018 you are like on the duck boats with the players going <laughs> through the parade through the city you're chugging beers like there's people cheering for the team sure but there's people who see you up there and they're cheering for you too Seeing you do that, I can't even imagine a world where, one, the Mariners win the World Series, let alone get to one, but two, where, like, players were like, hey, you two guys, like, you want to come up on the the floats with us for the parade and cruise through the city? Like, that's an alternate reality in my mind. So for you, I guess for a lack of a better term, like, how in the world does that happen? Uh, I mean, it's still, it's like, it, it is the best day of my life. Nothing will ever be able to top that. Like, if I get married... I don't like, I'll just be honest. I'll be like, this is the second best day of my life. Like there's just, there's no way like I'll, there's no way I will be able to top that experience. Um, and to your point about like, it's not like we were just underneath along for the ride. Uh, section 10 was at its absolute peak that year. And so we're on the top with the players and we're looking out at this sea of people and there's section 10 merch everywhere. So like, obviously like I'm not on the team. I didn't play. I don't deserve this, but it sure as hell felt like it, you know, like, like there, there's signs for players, but there were signs in the crowd for me. Like there were like stay hot rocket signs in the crowd. And there were like fans that had our t-shirts on. And there were also, um, there were also fans holding up signs that had our like catchphrases and our nicknames on them. So it was, it was like we took over the fucking thing. It was crazy. It was insane. I couldn't believe it. And I mean, I have like pretty, pretty bad like social anxiety. So like I was nervous drinking and I was hammered 
Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm drinking because I'm celebrating. I was drinking because I was like sensory overload. Like I am in a sea of millions of people and they're screaming at me and they're pointing at me and they're taking pictures and filming me. And they're like, do it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do that again. Like, I mean, first of all, the Red Sox suck. So like, it's not like they're going to win anytime soon. And if they did, it's, it's just not going to be the same. Like those are my guys. Like though, like I don't know because like now I'm in my mid thirties. Like I was in my late twenties at the time. Uh, if let, let's say they win again, like best case scenario, I'll probably be 40, you know, like I'm not going to be 40 years old, buddy, buddy with the number three hitter. Who's probably going to be 26, you know? Like, it's just not going to happen that way. Uh, like, maybe I'll have, like, some sort of cool relationship with them, but it's not going to be like, hey, man, like, me and you, buddy. Like, we're going to get on this boat together. We're going to get fucked up. Like, it's going to be great. They're going to be like, all right, dude. Like, nah, like, you're too old for this. Um, so it was just perfect. It was perfect timing. It was right place, right time. Like, being at Barstool, having them be able to, like, magnify the moment of, like, when we were out in L.A., uh, doing videos at the World Series and like they were retweeting my stuff and like amplifying all the content they were making. Like it felt like it felt like at the time, every time I sent a tweet that the world is going to see this. And uh, it, 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 it was that way. You know, like we, we, we were the Beatles in 2018. Like we couldn't go down the street without like, like at, by 2019. Um, so I used to, in 2017 and 18, I used to do every Friday night, I would do a meet and greet. I would tweet like, hey, like, you know, anyone wants to hang out, like meet me by gate D. And I did that for those two seasons. And then by 2019, after they had won the World Series, I didn't have to tweet it out anymore. People would just know to go to gate D after the games. And there would just be like hundreds of people there waiting. Like I would watch the game, walk outside into a sea of people that just started screaming the second that we came out. I was like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> like and and i would stay out there all night like my friend like we had a bar that across the street from fenway that we went to every friday shout out baseball tavern r.i.p they tore it down during covid um but my friends would just walk right past me they'd be like see you later and they would go to the bar and i would go out there and like shake hands meet everyone talk to everyone for an hour and a half two hours sometimes however long it took to make sure that everyone got the experience that they wanted uh, I would wait out there and then I would fucking sprint over to baseball tavern and start ripping shots to like catch up with everyone. Cause by the time I got there, everyone was already drunk. So I was like, all right, I got to play catch up. And, and yeah, that was, that was a wild time. Last thing for me, Jared, you had an amazing run at Barstool as the 2018 season. I mean, like you said, just top of the world, it felt like, but overall you just grew the baseball community online so much and now you've been gone from barstool for about two years with the baseball is dead podcast and the name redacted podcast and you used the term earlier uh i think it was last year that this was a very rewarding experience for you now that you're two year almost two years out of leaving barstool would you use a different word is there a, a different way you describe how life has been in the last two years where you've really kind of branched out on your own um um vindicating yeah maybe vindicating is the word because you know i did an interview maybe in the first year after i left and 
my words got twisted a little bit and Dave got pissed, but I'm going to double down and say it again <laughs> uh, because I do feel that way. And it's not a slight at him. It's not a slight at Barstool. It was more just like the people that were doubting me. People were saying, like, you're not shit without Barstool. People were saying you can't do it without Barstool. And I think in the two years that I've been gone, I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. Like, I, I always, like, I, I sent this, uh, a picture to my mom the other day. Uh, I had on Facebook memories, a status from 15 years ago popped up. And it was like, it was like 2009 when, when MLB Network first launched. And I was like, you know, just gushing about MLB Network. Like, MLB Network's the best thing that ever happened in my life. And I sent her that screenshot. And then I sent her a picture because I had just gotten my first check in the mail from MLB Network. Like, it was a check. And it had MLB Network right on the check. And I was like, bam, like took me 15 years. But like, I here here's a check for, from MLB Network to your son for his work, his contributions to the network. Um, I wasn't doing MLB Network before uh, to be able to get into the booth, the Red Sox broadcast. I didn't do that at Barstool. I didn't go on MLB Network at Barstool. I, I wasn't sitting next to Dennis Eckersley. Uh, and Dave O'Brien and Kevin Euclid and Will Middlebrooks and Lou Merloni and all these guys like during MLB games. I wasn't doing that before. Um, and then to just during baseball season, look at the podcast charts and see baseball is dead. Number one, number two, number three, name redacted, number three, number four, whatever. Like it was vindicating. It has nothing to do. Like I love Barstool. Like I'm so appreciative and grateful for my time there. Uh, I still look back on all of it fondly and the memories I will cherish forever and I miss those people there um but I think when you have people that want to see you fail and the number one chirp that they throw at you is that you're a product of the system and you are nothing without them of course it's going to feel good to prove those people wrong it has nothing to do with like you know motivation for leaving like that wasn't like that wasn't part of it it was just like now that I'm gone, let's now let's see what's up. Let's let's revisit the scoreboard at the end of this. And in two years removed from it, I've done everything in, in having a TV show with Nesson. Two years. That's uh, I think like there's I don't know yet officially, but it might be nominated for an Emmy. It's like, was I doing that before? No. <laughs> so like it's all just um, you want to you want to know that you can stand on your own. Um, and that people like you because the stuff you put out is good, not because you work for Barstool. Like, you don't want to just be like, well, I'm a Red Sox fan. I love Barstool. He, he's the Red Sox guy. So I guess we'll just listen to this because this is the place where I consume my stuff. It's like, no, we, we listen to it because we like it. And if you, if it doesn't exist here, then we'll listen to it where, wherever it goes. Um, because, you know, you don't want to feel insecure, right? Like, you don't want to feel like, do they only like me because I work at Barcelona? And you, you, that thought creeps into your mind with some of the player relationships. Like, do these players only talk to me because I'm at Barstool and they like Barstool? Or do they talk to me because they like me and they trust me? So that was like another big thing too. And, you know, all, all the same relationships like kept on chugging along and no one cared that I left. And uh, a lot of them still came on the podcast. I've got one more real one for you. And then one fun one to kind of wrap this one up. You have more more than done your fair share of growing the game of baseball for everything you've done in your time in baseball media. But 
for people like the two of us with some kind of platform or just in general, any normal fan out there listening to this thinking, I want to see baseball continue to grow. I want to see it get, I want to see it be the most popular sport in the world. Like what can we all do to continue to grow the game? Ooh, I don't know that there's like the first thing that came to my mind is not something that we can control. The first thing that comes to mind is they got to get rid of the blackouts. Um, because if you think about it, right, like they're trying to create so much content now for like short form content, which is great. Like, on social media, behind the scenes stuff, make the players more marketable, make them more accessible to fans so that we can, it's one thing to like a player because he's good at baseball. It's another thing to be personally invested, which is why I think it's been so cool about my job. I've gotten to know all these players personally, and that gives me even more reason to root for them. Um, I don't, not everyone has that benefit of getting to know these people, these players as people. Um, so the content is important and, and what you guys are doing too. Like if you're having Mariners players on, like that's how you grow the game. Like you build relationships with those players, you have them on and you talk to them about fun stuff and you have your listeners be like, man, I didn't know that about Paul Seawald. Like, I didn't know that. Like he's, he's really cool. Like even just like the stuff that he was like tweeting during the playoffs, like he was like aware, like he, he came at me, <laughs> he, he took it like one of my, uh, my screenshots and I was like, good. Do do that. Like I, I like this. Um, that's how you guys can control it. Like you humanize these people. That is that's your job when you interview players. Humanize them because there's plenty. Like uh, the first example that comes to my mind, um, who I love by the way, Sean Casey just had Aaron Judge on his podcast, and I was watching one of the clips and like he's asking him about like hitting techniques, and I was like. Case, I get it. You were just a hitting coach for the Yankees, but like, I want to know the stuff that no one knows about Aaron Judge. Like, he doesn't do a lot of media appearances. He doesn't talk a lot in long form settings. So, like, get into his psyche and like, let me know what's in there. Like, ask those questions. That's what I care about as a baseball fan. Give fans a reason to root for players because I mean, that's ultimately like that's our job. But baseball is dead, right? Like, baseball is a regional sport. Baseball fans only care about their own team. It is very difficult to make uh, Mariners fans care about a, a conversation on the podcast about the Minnesota Twins. Like, that's difficult to do. Um, so, like, when you're humanizing these players, that is what is the goal here. Because you want fans to care not just about their own teams, but, hey, I'm an East Coast baseball fan. My game just ended. Who, what's, what else is on the slate here? Oh, the Mariners are playing tonight. Oh, okay, cool. Like, I love George Kirby. I heard him on a podcast. Like, yeah, yeah I want to. That's, that's interesting to me that he's pitching tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tune in for that. Um, so that's how you can control it. But for the blackouts, everyone's on the go. You know, especially for a sport that is played in the summertime. People are doing shit. They're outside. Like, if I'm, a, if I'm a fan of a team and I can't even watch my own team because of a blackout or I can't, like, like log into the MLB.com app or whatever and watch my own team or like I'm a displaced fan. It's like, you know, it's, it's garbage. They got to do something about that. Last one I've got for you. I want to do a little bit of a callback to your old, I guess I'll say your old chapter. And I had to get one in, but I'm going to ask it in this way. Bigger adrenaline rush for you. Walk off home run at a sold out Fenway park on a Friday night 
or sitting and watching a Mets game with Frank the Tank. <laughs> Man. Um I've watched I've I've watched uh, a Mets game with Frank on a couple of occasions. He's a fascinating uh, human being, fascinating mind. Uh, the way that his brain works is incredible. I got to take the walk-off home run, I'll be honest. Because, I mean, at least you know what you're getting. If, if I'm hitting a walk-off home run at Fenway, I know I'm getting excitement. I know I'm getting a party. Watching a Mets game with Frank, you don't know where that's going. Like, that is too unpredictable for my liking. Um, but I've done it, and it is a good time. It is a good time. Love it. Jared, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for sitting and taking some time to talk with us. We've enjoyed it a ton. We've wanted to talk to you for a while, and certainly we hope we have the chance to do it again soon. I'm definitely down. Whenever you guys want it, uh, let's let's figure it out. Well, that <laughs> that was a unreal conversation with Jared Carabas. We really appreciate all the time he gave us here today. Before we wrap up the show, let's hear a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. You know, I had my expectations very high for this interview because Jared is a pros pro. He is authentically 100% himself always. And you heard that in the interview, but that blew that out of the water. I mean, that seriously did. This dude put in the work over a decade of time, decade plus of time, to make sure that you and I can have the access we have right now. I mean, he he led the charge of that and put in that work, making no money, working a job he didn't want to do for a long time to make it happen. And that's an amazing, it's, it's amazing what work can do to, and how it ends up and how life just ends up working out for you. Dude, that was so cool. When you guys listened to the first part of this podcast before the interview, we said we had not recorded it yet. We hadn't. But now post-recording, yeah, that was awesome. Like every question we were really dying to ask him, we asked. Like everything we had on our minds, you guys heard. All of his answers were awesome. And just to hear him talk about his story and to your point, TJ, yeah, like like I know you and I have loved all the player access we've been so fortunate enough to get thus far and all the short form content we've done through our player interviews like if you guys have enjoyed any of that stuff that we've done thank jared carabas for that because if it was not for him and the way baseball media is now being more and more accepted yeah there's no way in the world that people like us ever would have had the chance to do that so to talk to him to talk mariners with him to talk his career with him he is exactly how he always seemed from afar and i think it's so cool that he gave us all that time to talk to him and and it sounds like 
he's down to come on again at some point, which is which is pretty cool. So yeah, to have that one, we've circled it for a long time. We wanted it to happen for a long time. And now to actually do it, I'm with you. My expectations were set and then they were blown away at the end of the interview. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, you can do so wherever you get your audio pods. Make sure to download. Leave us a five-star review. Rate and review. That's on the audio side. Like, comment, subscribe. On the YouTube side, make sure to subscribe. That red subscribe button, it only takes two seconds to hit. And then follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. Talk to you soon.